For almost two decades, an enormous spacecraft in orbit around Earth has been observing the most violent and energetic parts of our universe. Last year, its thrusters failed, needed to manoeuvre the spacecraft in orbit and point it in the precise direction of the fascinating objects it studied, such as black holes and the biggest explosions in the universe, gamma-ray bursts. On 17th of July, it'll be 365 days since Integral's thrusters last fired. Yet today, the science continues. So what's happened? Welcome to ESA Explores Space Operations. This. Nie. Otto. Seven. Seis. Fünf. Cztery. Drei. Dwa. One. Today, we hear about the remarkable story of Integral's resurrection with its operations manager, Richard Southworth. First, I asked Richard to introduce himself. Hi, Rosa. Yes, um, my name is Richard Southworth. I'm the operations manager of Integral, and which I've been doing for more than 10 years now. I first came to ESOC back in 1988 and have done a variety of jobs here since then. But for the last 23 years, I've been working on the Integral mission. So currently, I'm responsible for the, the day-to-day operations of the mission, so to ensure that we fulfill, as far as possible, the scientific objectives of the mission, and that we do this uh, on budget, of course. So to do this, I, I have the help of a flight control team here, which consists of about 10 to 12 people, some of whom only work part-time on Integral. And also I get support from the other ESOC teams, Flight Dynamics, Ground Station, Comms, ESA IT, and so on and so forth. And how did you come to this? Did you study science or have some kind of astronomy background? No, I, I actually I studied mathematics. And I'm probably one of the rare cases. Uh, I came to ESOC not for the job. The job was incidental. I wanted to move to Darmstadt. And I was looking for a job and got a job in Ezok. Um, Why were you looking to move to... I mean, that's very much the opposite of most yeah. people's story. They end up in Darmstadt for a job. Why yeah. did you want to get here? I was attracted by a girl. <laughs> ah, classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a romance. It's a girl romance and a scientific romance, I guess. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe could you explain a bit about Integral? What is this mission? You say you've worked on it for 23 years, and a lot of missions don't last that long. So what's Integral? Well, Integral Integral is the International Gamma Ray Astrophysics Laboratory. It's one of ESA's big um, observatory missions, in particular specialising, as the name says, in in gamma rays. Um, But also we have some complementary instruments in the, in the x-ray um, spectrum and also a, a visible uh, light um, detector camera now integral yeah it's it's been up there a long time it was launched 17th of october 2002 it's a big satellite it's uh, the body of the satellite is is five meters tall and at launch we had a weight of over four tons um, now the initial planned lifetime of Integral was just 2.5 years. Um, there was always the idea of a further extension of another 2.5 years to give us a total lifetime of five years. In fact, the mission performed so well um, 
though we could continue to operate it well beyond this date. And up to now, we've been in operation for well over 18 years, Amazing. which nobody expected back in 2002. Now, Integral is it's the most sensitive gamma ray observatory ever launched. Gamma rays uh, come from some of the most violent and exotic sources in the universe. And we're looking at things like black holes, neutron stars, supernova here. Um, now, unfortunately, but fortunately for us, the, the atmosphere of the Earth actually protects us quite well from gamma rays. So this is why we need an observatory outside the Earth's atmosphere and the, the Earth's magnetic field. In fact, that's the critical thing. Uh, which is why Integral is up there where it is. And in order to get as far away as possible from the Earth, Integral is in a 64-hour elliptical orbit, which at, at the apogee, at the furthest point from the Earth, takes us almost 150,000 kilometers from the Earth. And so there we're well away from, from the influence of the Earth, mm. and we're really in space, and we can study these gamma ray events in peace. So what kind of questions does Integral answer? The information that it provides about gamma rays and violent events and objects in the universe, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us several um, very crucial and fundamental questions. I mean, one of the things that we're looking at using the, the, the gamma ray imager and spectrometer is what happens to, to matters in, for instance, dying stars. How is how is this important for life on Earth here? Um, at the centre of our galaxy, we know there's a giant black hole. Integral is also trying to tell us more about this um, this object. Occasionally, we get sudden, very short-lived um, flashes or outbursts of gamma ray um, radiation, which last just seconds. And this is something else which Integral is trying to to resolve the, the, the source of these, these events. Mm. Um, something else interesting which has happened in the last few years is that we've got involved in, um, in the gravitational wave exploration field. Now, of course, we can't detect gravitational waves, but we can detect the massive and very violent events which, in some cases, cause gravitational waves. And this, um, this, this we've done on several occasions now. We, we have, apart from the, the instruments in Integral, which, which point in a particular direction and look at a particular source, in order to shield the instruments from, from the, the gamma ray background, we have um, a shielding around the detector. But this also doubles as an all-sky detector because the, the shielding can't prevent a gamma ray event, but it can detect it and allow us to exclude it from the observation. Oh. But as a side product, this is an all-sky detector. So we've detected several gamma ray events, which were also detected by gravitational wave detectors. So this is the, the sort of the news. This is a science which didn't, didn't exist when Integral was, was launched mm. and which we're now contributing to. Wow, that's amazing. Yes, and we, we hope to, to discover more fields like this. We're, we're looking at, at different ways of doing science in the next few years, which I'll come to later. Yeah, it's amazing that, that um, a satellite that was launched so long ago, and I presume, you know, you, you can't really update a satellite that easily physically. You can't go up there and, and change it. It's amazing that it can stay relevant to an entirely new field of, of science. And, you know, you can't really touch it. You're communicating just through the air. 
yes, yes. It shows us how far ahead of our time we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, this comes to uh, an important point that last year the mission was nearly over. It almost died, if you can call it that. Um, and so part of the reason we're talking today is to celebrate and talk a bit about the resurrection of Integral. Um, so could you explain a bit about what happened last year and, and how it nearly died? Uh, yes, I can. Um, maybe I'll give you a little bit of background first. I mean, basically what happened was that we we effectively lost the, the propulsion system. So this is the system of thrusters and fuel which, which we use to to maneuver the satellite. Now, the reason we need a propulsion system is to dissipate uh, angular momentum. Now, if you can imagine, the, the satellite is pointing at a particular source, often for many hours. And while the satellite is in this stable attitude, pointing at a source, it's subject to small external torques. And the significant one is the solar radiation pressure. So the, the, the pressure of the sun shining on the satellite effectively is slowly trying to rotate the satellite. It's a very small force, but over a long period of time, and also that on the large uh, surface area of integral solar arrays, it can become significant. And this tends to rotate the satellite. Just the, the, the attitude that you mentioned, so a spacecraft's attitude is, is kind of the angle or, or the direction it's pointing in? It's the pointing direction. Let's say it's the pointing direction. That's the simple explanation. It's the pointing direction pointing at whichever gamma ray source we're observing at that time. So you're trying to observe a black hole, for example. For example, yes. And the sun is very gradually, ever so slightly, nudging it and turning it so it could no longer be looking at at the black hole. Exactly, yes, yes. If you can imagine, we have, we have two solar arrays on the base of the satellite, which are um, of the order of 15 to 20 meters wide. Wow. So you can imagine even a very small force acting against these arrays mm. is noticeable. And to counteract this, we have three what we call reaction wheels on board. And this is a sort of a flywheel, which can can rotate or we can accelerate or decelerate this wheel and this will tend to rotate the satellite in the opposite direction and using the by, by combining these two rotations we can remain stable pointing but over a long period of time of course these these flywheels will tend to they'll speed up and eventually they would reach a maximum speed at which they couldn't absorb any more momentum now, before we get there, we have to do something called a momentum offload, which is basically a deceleration of these wheels. To do this, we have to fire the thrusters on the satellite to prevent the satellite rotating in the other direction as we decelerate these wheels. And this is a momentum offload. And this is why mm. we need thrusters and a propulsion system. So we have to periodically offload this momentum. On integral, this was done typically every two to three days. Oh wow! Quite often. Yes, yes, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's significant. Now, what happened last year is we 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 tried one of these um, scheduled, absolutely nominal, standard reaction wheel offloads, and in fact, it didn't work correctly. Rather than offloading the momentum, the satellite started to move, which was very alarming for us. Um, now, this triggered almost immediately a safe mode. So the satellite went back to a very basic 
control mode and to a very um, basic pointing angle where basically the solar arrays are pointing towards the sun so we get maximum power and this is this is a safe attitude now the, the safe mode seemed to work correctly <clears throat> so we we weren't too alarmed we didn't know what had happened we didn't know why it had happened we had a a theory that maybe there was a problem with the thruster or, or even propulsion system uh, but we were in safe mode and as far as we could see the safe mode was was functioning correctly so this was this was in the in already in in covid lockdown times last year it was also late on a saturday night of course because these things always happen at the weekend um so we decided to leave the satellite where it was until the next morning we knew it was safe and we knew that in the morning we'd all be refreshed and we could do a proper analysis and recovery so we met the next morning at i don't know nine o'clock or so uh, we started to plan the recovery and while we were talking in fact the spacecom the, the controller contacted us and asked us why integral had gone into eclipse because there was no eclipse scheduled and what does this mean that it's gone into eclipse? Well, an eclipse is is basically where the sun goes into shadow. So typically, the the Earth comes between the satellite and the sun, and this means that the solar arrays don't receive power, and we go into an eclipse mode, which is a standard thing. But there wasn't an eclipse scheduled at this time, uh, which was the the mysterious thing. Once we started to analyze uh, what had happened, in fact, uh, there was no eclipse. The satellite had simply rotated away from the sun, ah. which was a very unexpected and very strange event. Uh, we'd never seen anything like this before. But what became very clear to us then was that the, the problem we had wasn't just on one side of the propulsion system. It was a general propulsion system problem. And we knew then that we had to uh, exit this safe mode quickly because we couldn't trust the thrusters anymore. And we had to get initially back to a mode where we could at least control the, the attitude initially with the reaction wheels. This would buy us some time and we could decide what to do, mm -hmm. um, which is what we did on this Sunday morning. We did, a, a, a I think, a record-breaking recovery from safe mode back to a wheel-controlled mode. And then we had to sit down and think what to do. Um, because actually we didn't have a clue at the time. <laughs> yeah, that must have been a strange, yeah. stressful. Was it a stressful moment? It was. It was very stressful. We were all a bit stressed anyway with this this whole COVID lockdown, learning how to work from home, um, which I, I must say worked. It worked well. Um, but up to then, then we'd had relatively standard operations which is one thing, but once you're thrust into a crisis like this mm. and you can't communicate in the normal way, you mm. can't come on site, it's uh, it's more challenging. So anyway, then it, was, it soon became clear that um, we had a major problem. We did a, the first thing we did was a, cal a calibration of the, of the thrusters. And what we saw was that we had much less thrust than expected. I think we were expecting something like five or six newtons but in fact we saw maybe two okay and um, just for an idea of scale what what kind of force are we talking about with with five or six newtons well five newtons is is like having 500 grams in your hand okay yeah um and what was in some ways even worse is that it was very irregular 
So sometimes we would see close to what we expected, and then some, and then a moment later, nothing. So it was as if the thing was was spluttering and firing bubbles, if you, if you could imagine. Um, and what this meant was that we couldn't actually do a safe um, momentum offload because we simply wouldn't have been able to hold the satellite in a stable pointing direction with, with this unpredictable behavior. So first thing was we, we designed a new um, offloading mode, which we could use temporarily to, to offload angular momentum as it, as it built up, um, which we knew we, we couldn't do this as a, as a standard um, planning scheduled activity because it was quite an intense manual activity, but at least it bought us more time. Mm. The problem is that when we did this, every time we did this, we saw that the internal pressure of the system dropped and dropped significantly by of the order of 5, 10, 15 percent. Um, so the spacecraft was losing pressure? Is that The, the fuel system was, was losing pressure. And th this was very significant because over the previous, I think since uh, the middle of 2015, I think we'd lost 2% of pressure, 3% of pressure. And suddenly we were losing 5 or 10% per firing. Uh, so this was very worrying for us. So we bought some time with this momentum offloading mode, but this wasn't the answer to, to running the mission. But then at least we, we got time to sit down and think and try things. And one idea which, um, well, two people claimed to have the idea, <laughs> I'm not going to say who they were, was that by using um, a, the correct uh, a sequence of, a specially designed sequence of maneuvers, we could actually redistribute the, the angular momentum which was stored on board the satellite. And in particular, we could exchange the negative angular momentum with positive angular momentum on two different reaction wheels, which meant that we could buy time by doing this. And if we could continue to do this effectively, we wouldn't need to bias. For anyone wondering about angular momentum, yeah. <laughs> how, how would, <laughs> I mean, the image I have is that you've got this, uh, I've got to say my knowledge of a flywheel is, is limited. But I'm imagining mm -hmm. that uh, you've got this spinning thing that is is spinning in the other direction to to how the sun mm -hmm. is acting on the spacecraft. Yes, and yes. So yeah. it sounds like it's holding onto this energy. It just keeps spinning, obviously, because in space things mm -hmm. just keep going. And yes, you want to yes. get rid of that yep. spin. You want to stop it spinning or slow it down, but you don't want the spacecraft to to yes. go in a direction you don't want. Well. We Okay. Exactly. And we can't stop it spinning. We yeah. have no means to stop okay. it spinning. But we have we, we have several of these wheels on board. So it's not just one wheel which is acting against mm -hmm. the sun. And in fact, by chance, there are two wheels on different axes of the satellite. And in order to prevent this rotation, one of them accelerates in, in the negative spin direction and one in the positive spin mm -hmm. direction. Now, also, apart from absorbing angular momentum, we can use these wheels to rotate the satellite. So, and this is what we normally do when we want to point to a different gamma ray source. We, we rotate the satellite by changing the speeds of these wheels. And this rotates the satellite and points it to the new target. 
And it turned out that what we could also do is by uh, choosing the correct maneuver and the correct uh, change in rotation speed of the two wheels, we could exchange the speeds of two of these wheels. So the wheel which had a high positive value suddenly had a high negative value and vice versa. Um, but the, the influence of the sun would continue to act in the same way. So the wheel which initially had a high positive value because it was absorbing the, um, the solar radiation pressure in a, high, in, in a positive way, once it got a high negative value, continued to accelerate in, in, a, in a positive way. So effectively, we'd gain time by doing this. Um, and if we do this, this properly, we, we can gain five or six days. Um, now, it's, <laughs> I, I didn't believe this at first, but in fact, it, it, it's, the theory seemed to indicate that it would work. Uh, we did a simulation with our flight dynamics people here, and that they confirmed the, the theory. And we, we then actually did it with the satellite. Um, it was a, a very quickly scheduled test, and it was, but it was, it did work with the satellite. And the good thing is that because we we couldn't we couldn't schedule a test which was exactly precisely um, the the theoretical slew, but we were fairly close. We could prove that actually we didn't have to be perfect. We could do an approximation. Um, of the, the slew theory would still work. And the slew, that's also the kind of angle that it's at? This is, the slew is the change in angle. So when, when, angle, we, okay. when we change the pointing direction of the, of the detectors or the telescope from one um, gamma ray source to another one, this is known as a slew. Okay, yeah. yeah. So there we, we change the pointing direction. Yeah. So this indicated that we we would be in a position to control angular momentum. Um, now, what it didn't tell us is whether we could do science, because this is the point of the mission. It, it's no point keeping the mission alive and controlling angular momentum if that's all we do, because a, a gamma ray observatory which can't point at a gamma ray source doesn't really help us. So this was the, the next thing um, that we had to do. Now we christened this um, this this new mode of operating the satellite Z flip. So um, this had never been done before. This had, as far as I'm aware, it had never been done before. Okay, so the, um, just to to summarise, the thrusters had failed, and you mm -hmm. were now able to tilt and turn the spacecraft using these spinning wheels. Using these reaction wheels these as they're reaction wheels. in the trade. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That sounds. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And like this, we we the important thing is we could control the the angular momentum of the system. So we christened this Z flip uh, theory, or the Z flip maneuver. The reason we we mm -hmm. we call it this is because we it's we we effectively flip the satellite around the Z axis of the satellite, which is okay. the, the sun pointing axis. Yeah. And then we had to see what we could do with this, um, whether we could sensibly do any science. Um, so we we were then had long intensive discussions with our science operations center in ESAC, 
and we, we tried to give them the requirements for this um, Z-flip maneuver. And, they, and we asked them to see if they could come up with some form of science. And in fact, they did a very good job. They, they designed a sequence of targets which roughly fulfilled the sort of maneuver we needed. And this got us back to doing science. Now, it was rather limited science because they had a rather initially a rather limited range of, of targets that fulfilled our needs. But at least we were back in business and we were starting to prove that we could do something. Yeah. And then as and then we, we, we since then we've been holding regular planning meetings with them. And basically every every two weeks we try to push the boundaries a little bit further. So initially the, the Z flip was based on on a slew of 180 degrees. So we'd point one way and then basically diametrically opposite. Yeah. Um, but of course, we couldn't continue doing that forever. And then the next thing we tried was uh, three targets separated by 120 degrees. And we found out that this is also possible. There are certain other constraints, um, but in principle, three observations separated by 180 degrees of roughly the t- same time thus fulfill our constraints. And then we looked at different combinations. So for instance, uh, 120 degree maneuver, 60 degree maneuver, followed by 180 degrees to take us back where we'd started. And this also works. Um, of course, we it's, it, I'm making it sound very simple. It's not that simple because we, we apart from the rotation around the sun line, there's the rotation of the telescope and the other axes that we have to be a little bit careful with. Um, but in principle, that, that, that's how it works, uh, and yeah. it is working. So it's been a year that you've been... It's been a year now, yes. Um, okay, yeah. Um, we did the last... Um, the last thruster firing was on the 17th of July last year. And since then, we've controlled the, the angular momentum purely by selection of target attitudes, uh, scientific target attitudes. And the remarkable thing is that initially for the first month when we did this, we occasionally had to pick an attitude which wasn't a scientific attitude. We simply had to go to an attitude where we could absorb some angular momentum before we could continue. Since uh, September last year, we haven't even needed to do this. Our Science Operations Center has planned their observations so well that we managed to absorb all angular momentum and at the same time make full use of the science observing window. So we've really restored the full observatory um, efficiency. Wow, that's great teamwork between the two sites there. It was was a fantastic teamwork exercise, yes. I mean, I've mentioned ISOC. I mean, I should also mention uh, industry, several um, different... um, Companies who contributed to, to Integral over the years helped us very much. Also, the, the, the tech people from, from STEC, um, the Science Data Center, we have a, an external science data center in the University of Geneva. Uh, they were also very supportive. And of course, all the other internal teams in here in ESOC who were, were very, very helpful. Flight Dynamics in particular, I, I have to single out, but also the ground station people, communications people. Uh, ESA IT, because of course, in this COVID period, 
the we were all working from home. The VPN was fantastic. The communications were excellent. It was, and, and I think a lot of people like to complain about it is IT, but I must <laughs> say they they really did us proud in this period. Yeah, well, that's yeah where it really really matters to get it right yes, when yeah. you're in the middle of rescuing a mission. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's where we are <clears throat> today. So we we have a science mission again. We have an observatory which is uh, fully utilised. Um, and now we're looking at it a little bit, and we think we can even we can still improve on this. Um, and one thing that we came up with is a, is a patch to the to the onboard software, which would allow us to overcome some of the onboard constraints we have for manoeuvring the satellite. Um, now, one of the one of the difficulties we have, and I, I keep talking about angular momentum, but it's my life has has been controlled by angular momentum for the last year. Um, in order to to control angular momentum, we have to do quite big maneuvers, quite big slews, and typically even 180 degrees. And this this is a big maneuver. Now, unfortunately, integral maneuvers are rather constrained by the starting angular momentum at the, the, when we start this slew. So if we want to execute a large slew in order to reduce angular momentum, we have to start this slew before angular momentum gets too high, okay. <laughs> if you understand me. I think um, so. So before yes. the, the sunlight has... Um... <laughs> Let, let's uh, let, let's let's talk about the, the the flywheels, the reaction wheels. Yeah, they absorb the angular momentum, but if we let them absorb too much, they're spinning too fast, and in fact, then we can't slew away from this attitude with a large maneuver, mm. because they, this the, 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 there isn't the, this would put us into a safe mode again, and we don't want to go to safe mode because the thrusters don't work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So ideally, we would execute large slews when we have very low wheel speeds at the beginning of the slew. But the reason for executing a large slew is because we have high wheel speeds. So this is a sort of a contradiction, if you, if you can imagine. Yeah. Now, somebody has proposed a patch to the onboard software which would actually overcome this. And basically, we would start to use the, the onboard gyroscopes to control better the... Um, the spacecraft attitude evolution during the slew to prevent it becoming unstable. And this patch is, is what we've, well, the, the patch exists. We know it works on the simulator. It's currently being tested and we plan to put it on the satellite in September. And a patch is like a bit of code. like It's a, a change to a software routine, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. 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 Now, what this patch would allow us to do, first of all, it would allow us to stay in a particular target much longer. So rather than having to um, do a maneuver away from a target before the angular momentum got too high to maneuver away, we could actually stay there longer because we'd be able to maneuver with a higher starting angular momentum. So this means that our science operations center could plan longer observations of a particular source, which is something uh, they used to do in the past um, before the anomaly. Yeah. So this would improve not just the, the efficiency and quantity of the science, 
but hopefully even also the, the quality of the science we're we're producing. Yeah. And the other byproduct of this, or the other reason for doing it, in fact, isn't a byproduct, is that we could actually even improve the performance of Integral by making a faster target of opportunity reaction. Now, for hmm. a gamma ray observatory, so targets this, of opportunity are very important. Sorry. Just to explain what a target of opportunity is. Yeah. Okay. A target of opportunity. Um, most of our targets are scheduled, so we we, so we have. So these are objects you'd like to study. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, we have yeah. a planned sequence of observations, which is planned weeks or even months in advance. Now, once in a while, something happens in the sky, uh, which is particularly interesting, and we want to look at it quickly. And then we would interrupt this this planned sequence of observations to go to this this new target. This could be, for instance, a new supernova, or as happened a few years ago, a gravitational wave event that was detected. And then we would interrupt the planned sequence of observations, uh, replan, and go quickly to this to this new target. Um, and this is very important for a gamma ray observatory because gamma ray events tend to be short-lived so the sooner we, we can react to an event the better now in the past when we had a propulsion system when such an event was detected we would replan we would then calculate the maneuver to the new uh, location and then we would have to manage angular momentum as i keep coming back to angular momentum by doing a, a reaction wheel uh, momentum offload so that we could then plan the new sequence of maneuvers. Now, this has got even a little bit more difficult since the anomaly because we, we don't have the, the propulsion system anymore. So we would then have to um, try to offload angular momentum using our Z-flip uh, technique, which is much slower, potentially. However, if we implement this patch on board the satellite, meaning that actually we are much less uh, dependent on having to offload angular momentum before we slew, we could potentially slew almost immediately. So we, we could, if you could imagine a, a gamma ray event is detected, we're given the target attitude and we would trigger potentially a manual slew maybe within minutes because we don't have to manage angular momentum beforehand in, in many cases. So this means that we'd have a, a much faster target of opportunity response than we've ever had in the last 18 years of the mission, wow. which would be so, a fantastic achievement. Okay, so the 18-year-old mission could yep. be quicker to respond to events in the universe than it was in 2002. Could even be improved, yes, yes. That's amazing. Yes, yes, this is the idea, yes, yes. Yes, um, and something else which um, we will use this this um, this new capability for is we have a proposed observation of the Earth. Um, basically, the the aurora borealis is potentially a source of gamma rays, in particular when there's a solar flare. Now we have a proposed observation of the aurora borealis in cooperation with the SWARM mission, which is an Earth observation mission. Um, and this will be triggered as a target of opportunity following a solar flare. So this will be another application of this new software. 
And this wouldn't have been possible previously. This wouldn't have been possible, no. In in the past, we, we did do Earth observations in the past, and this had to be a, ver, a, a very static planned event. So it, it would have been possible to do as a target of opportunity. Now with the new software patch, we'll actually be able to slew to an Earth-pointing attitude and carry out this observation at, at relatively short notice. So that's fascinating. So so a solar flare would trigger the northern lights, I guess people might also know it. Exactly, yes, yes. And yes. at that point, Integral could kick in, observe along with Swarm, mm-hmm. this you know amazing effect that people will have seen pictures of this night sky glowing like yes. green and blue, and that this could actually be a source of gamma rays that Integral could study. Yes, the, the, this is a known source of gamma rays. We we did by chance we with one previously scheduled Earth observation we did detect such an event. Yeah. Uh, so we've actually proven that we we can do it. But of course, the coordinated observation with Swarm should give us a lot more data and, and a lot more background into such events. So it's it's another something else we would never have dreamt about back in. 2002. <laughs> yeah, what an evolution the, the spacecraft's had. Isn't it? Yes, it's incredible, yes. <clears throat> well, that's fascinating. It's a really, I mean, the life of Integral tells a lot of the story of of mm-hmm. space flight and the challenges that people at Mission Control have and, and often the ingenuity. I'm amazed um, at how the teams in what seems like an impossible uh, task they've been given can just come up with these really genius ways of, of keeping missions flying yes yes this this was uh, I, I must say a year ago I was quite pessimistic um, and I think that, that we've achieved so much and that we achieved it so quickly is remarkable and that we did this despite uh, the the home office the covid everyone's worries uh, it's fantastic fantastic. Well, big well done to you and the team and um, all the other partners that you mentioned. It's a really, it's a cool story. And yeah, it's one of our OAP satellites, but amazingly still churning out all of this amazing science. It's, it's a really cool story. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of, of the people I work with and, and the way they've done this. So I, I feel quite humble sometimes. And all of this because of a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening. Check out the amazing science integrals continuing to make possible on the ESA website, as well as all the latest news from ESA's Mission Control Centre in Darmstadt, Germany, where missions come alive.